How about now? And we're live. Let's start over. Hi, I'm Forrest. How are you guys? Guys, so this morning, just a little fun, scary story for me. I'm driving on Drew Bay because I live over here in Tooele, and I'm minding my business and looking at the horses and enjoying the scenery. And then out of nowhere comes Bambi right across the front of the truck. And I mean, I this close before, and it was a baby Bambi. You know, he still had the spots on his back and stuff. And so as a, I turn and I just see him hopping through the, he's like, no big deal. Miss one, check. Good for the day. But anyway, so that was my morning. It's been kind of a crazy morning. So I hope your mornings have been a little more relaxed, a little more uh, easy going. I have a couple of announcements. Uh, the big one is next weekend, the 22nd, we have the backpack giveaway. Um, we put a, or I put a, a video out yesterday on Facebook, on our Facebook page. So if you see it, like it, share it, uh, just to get the word out to everybody that we have uh, 144 backpacks that we are giving away to kids in our community that need them. Um, I know some schools started this week, I believe. Um, I know my daughter starts next week. So we're right in the middle. So hopefully um, there's kids out there that, that need some supplies because it's a backpack with 30 different supplies inside of it. So it, it comes with pens and uh, paper and um, different things, a ruler and, and racers and stuff. And uh, if you want to be involved with that, uh, there's a sign-up in the back. We will be here at 10 to set up till 11, and then we're going to hand out from 11 to 1 with cleanup time there at the end. Uh, the way it's going to work, though, is we're going to have them do kind of a, a drive-by. So we're going to direct everybody, and as the car drives up, we're going to hand the backpack to the, the kiddo. Uh, we would like the kid to be in the car uh, with... Uh, the adults, so that we can hand it to them and say thank you and connect with them. Uh, so if you know anybody, let them know. That's what we're going to be doing. It's really exciting. It's something we did last year and that I hope we can continue to do uh, throughout uh, the future. And it's only possible, uh, like I expressed last week, because your guys' faithfulness in, in giving. Um, none of it's possible. We couldn't have bought the backpacks and with the supplies and everything. So thank you for being willing to stay faithful in your uh, tithes, your offerings, and, and your giving. And if you have uh, anything you would like to give, we have a kiosk in the back uh, where you can give or at lifechurchutah.com. And uh, if you're a first-time guest, we have little uh, bags in the back for you. So if you'd like a, a bag, it's got uh, a, a coffee tumbler in there uh, and then a couple... Uh, I think a little book of John is in there. So just uh, something for you. And then if you would, uh, wouldn't mind, uh, we, we don't do connection cards anymore. It's all through the World Wide Web. And uh, so if you can go to lifechurchutah.com and connect with us. That way, if you need anything, uh, materials, uh, we can reach out to you and, and just stay in touch with each other. Now, go with me, if you can, in your memories to 15 years ago. It's a long time. Some of you would be less gray. I was less gray. Some of you might have fewer wrinkles. Some of you might not have even been born. Uh, but 15 
years ago. I can remember the house like it, like I, I like I still lived there. It was a brick rambler. It had four bedrooms, two bathrooms, two living spaces. Uh, upstairs was one living area with a fireplace. It was two bedrooms off the back and a restroom and a little quaint kitchen downstairs pretty much exact same layout and it was the home where I started my marital journey it was the home that saw the beginning of the honeymoon phase and the end of the honeymoon phase (laughs) it was a great house it was so I was, when I got married, I was 23 years old. Allison was 23 as well. And when you're young, you think you got it all figured out, and then you realize that you don't. And um, this was the case for me. I had moved out of my parents' house at 19 to go to school to, uh, for ministry. And I, I actually lived in the church for three years and studied. And Allison had moved away to Vanguard to go to college for one year and then went back home. Uh, So I had moved out, but I had not assumed the full responsibility of life, of sustaining my life with paying for bills and the food and and all of these things. And then I look back at age 23, I was making $9 an hour. I can understand why her parents might have been a little reluctant hey, I'm going to take care of your daughter on nine bucks an hour. Thankfully, Allison was my, uh, she was my ticket. She was my one-way ticket to, to, to freedom and money. She was making $11 an hour. <laughs> I had found my sugar mama, and I was going to ride it. I was going to take it all the way to retirement. And... Uh, the thing that's funny about relationships is, uh, is you go through these phases. And like I said, we had gone through the honeymoon phase. And going into marriage, we thought we might have the, a pretty good handle on things because we went through quite a bit through the dating part of life. And uh, I thought, ah, we, we got this. It, it's not going to be hard, not a big deal. And then you actually live with each other, and you realize the things that were the cutesy little things are now the things that just grate on you and drive you nuts. And you... You, you have your one little fight and then a, another little fight. And, you know, the, for us, maybe some of the fights were stemmed around money and finances. I know a lot of them came from my inability to manage time well. Um, I would say, yeah, I'm going to be home in an hour. And then two, three hours later, I come walking in and she's mad at me. But this one particular fight, neither one of us know why or what the fight was about. No idea, but it was a full-on, no-holds-barred, we're, we're fighting and we're digging our heels in and we are not going to resolve this issue to save anything. In fact, it was, it was bad enough to where even the D word was thrown out a couple times, um, divorce. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It, it was to the point to where I had moved from upstairs to downstairs. I was living in the guest bedroom. I was uh, using the downstairs bathroom. Th- th- within our first year of marriage, this is where we had uh, gotten to. And I apologize to anybody that ever stayed at our house. That bed downstairs was terrible. 
I mean, you should have just slept on the floor. It was miserable. But we couldn't afford anything else, so we just kept it. So, sorry, Jason and Megan. Um, but uh, it's seven days go by, and it, it, was, it was one of those ones where you didn't, we're not talking to each other, where we have to meet in the kitchen to eat, but we're not looking at each other, we're not talking to each other. And I cannot tell you what the fight was about. I just know that around day seven, I was getting ready to go to bed, and one of us drew up and put on their big girl pants and <laughs> came downstairs to end the fight. And I don't know, again, and I don't know what was said. I don't know why or how we resolved it. There's probably, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yes. And we, we resolved that fight. Can I, do you guys, do you have stories like that? Or is it just <laughs> us? <laughs> you know, and I'm the type of person, I don't like conflict. I'm not a fan of conflict. Um, my idea, so I think one of the things that really, and it still kind of drives her nuts, is she wants to dialogue. She wants to have it out, where I, you start at me, I'll just stand there, and I'll take it, and I'll listen, and then I hope it goes away. <laughs> and it never does, and that's probably what happened in this fight. I didn't talk, I didn't say anything, and I didn't argue back, and it just grew out of control. It's not, it, it's only been through work, really, that I've learned to deal with conflict, because I work in the customer service industry. Anybody here do customer service? Isn't it the best? <laughs> People can be terrible. And it, it's like the more, the, the more nasty they get, the, the more they think they're going to get their way. And that's, I, th there's two things in customer service that I completely I don't agree with. Um, one, the customer is always right. The customer is not always right. Sometimes they are wrong and really wrong. And, they should, and I shouldn't have to take it. But you learn you have to. You have to resolve the issue. And the other one is, uh, I, well, I deserve this. I did this. That's more of a pet peeve. It's like just because you're alive doesn't mean you deserve something. But that's, I digress. Conflict is what we're going to talk about today and what conflict looks like in our faith and why it's actually an important thing in our faith and in our lives and how it can really be something that can transform um, our relationships and uh, our lives with those that we come in contact every day. Uh, we've been in a study on the book of Galatians for the last three weeks now, two weeks. This is the third week. And we're going through and, uh, chapter by chapter and just digging out some principles and some truths. And the first week we discovered that there's no heart so hard that Jesus can't soften it. We looked at the story of Paul and how Paul was so hard and, and so uh, against God and, and the new church, but Jesus was able to soften his heart and change him. And that even though we have those type of people in our lives, God can work on them and soften their hearts as well. And then last week, I encouraged you, don't be persuaded to give away your freedom in Christ. This is one where we talked about, don't let uh, things of false teachings come in and persuade you to give up what you have found in Christ, and that is freedom from your past, freedom from guilt, freedom from uh, the law, and, and, and how even though what the world wants to give us and wants to show us and wants to provide for us, it's not worth being persuaded to give up what we have found in Jesus. 
and that we actually need to be the persuaders and, and be that influence on our friends and, and our coworkers and our family members and persuade them into uh, trusting Jesus with their life. And this week, I hope to get the principle across that conflict is necessary to preserve truth. That conflict is necessary to preserve truth. Now, if you remember, we've kind of summed everything up, uh, the book of Galatians, with Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And we're going to pick up our story at the beginning of Galatians chapter 2. We're going to examine what, what role does freedom play in conflict or conflict in freedom. And while you turn there, I'm going to summarize the rest of chapter 1. Uh, Paul goes into talking about how what he is preaching, what he is teaching people is not something he made up. It's not something he created, but it was something that was revealed to him through Jesus and that he is going to the Gentiles and preaching the gospel, uh, preaching that salvation comes through by grace through faith. And then he talks about his persecution of the church and how we talked about that at length in the first week, but how he was really zealous about persecuting the church and how that zeal has now been turned to proclaiming the gospel. And then he, he talks about how uh, Jesus revealed himself to, to reach the Gentiles, but also after, the, which I found interesting, is he went and did ministry for three years before he ever went up and met with the apostles. And it made me think, you know, just a little side note, you don't need permission from me to do ministry. Where you're at, where you live, if God's put a burden on your heart, go, go out and do it. it was, you know, Paul didn't do ministry for three years, and then he goes up uh, and meets with Peter and, and the, 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 the churches in Judea. They didn't even, they'd never met Paul. They had only heard the stories of Paul and were amazed at how the man that had persecuted the church for so long was now proclaiming the gospel, and they praised God because of Paul's conversion. And that leads us into chapter 2. Now, we're going to read quite a bit, so uh, bear with me. Every, it sh it'll be up on the screen. should be, hopefully. Um, we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 1, and go all the way through 14. So here we go. Verse 1, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom, that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. He's talking about how the, the Jews are trying to bring in the ritual of circumcision into the salvation of Jesus. And then he says, here, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. 
Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he was working through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, uh, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, or Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Uh, verse 11, this is where we're going to spend most of our day. I, I felt that that portion was a good setup for the, the conflict we're going to see here in 11 through 14. It says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct, conduct, conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Let's pray. Father, I come to you this morning and I thank you for your word. And I thank you that there are principles that we can pull from your, your word and apply to our lives so that our character can be more like Christ and that we can be people that are able to move your, your kingdom forward, that people would come to know you. So I pray today, Lord, help us to understand this principle of conflict and help us to uh, apply it to our lives. So open our ears to hear what you have to say and our minds to understand. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, what's the difference between Jews and Gentiles? That, that, that seems to be the, the common thing. Well, the Jews do this, and the Gentiles do this. Well, the Jews were God's chosen people. Uh, the Jews were a people that um, were of the ancestors of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they had the law. And through that law, they had certain things that they had to do to stay ceremonially clean. And one of the big uh, covenants that God made with the Jews was circumcision. It was the sign that um, Abraham had accepted what God was moving him to do, and he proved that through circumcision. Now, the, the Gentiles were basically everybody else. Uh, Gentile is of Latin origin, meaning belonging to a people, but how, how it's used in the Gospels is basically... Uh, it means non-Jewish. It's everybody else. And everything about the two cultures were extremely different from the way they dressed. Um, as I talk about this, we'll have pictures scroll through here. Uh, their, their dress, uh, their art looked different. Um, their language was different. The way they worshipped was different. Social customs were different. Uh, perhaps the greatest one among them was their belief systems. Uh, the Jews believed that in one transcendent God who had created everything, where the Gentiles, it was more of a free-for-all. 
uh, pagan gods or, or the Hellenistic beliefs of, of the Greeks with uh, Greek mythology and, and whatever idol they had. Uh, but each culture seems to think that they're, they're the best culture. And I, I am very much, I love America, I'm, I'm pro-American. I, I think uh, America has done more to promote the, the health and the welfare of mankind than any other country. We, does she have her flaws? Absolutely. But I, I th- we see this here with the Jews. They, they know, they believe that they are the, the superior uh, culture, so they want to enforce uh, their views, their ritual onto this new church and, and onto salvation. So uh, what do we see happening in this story? We see that the, the Jews are adding uh, the rituals of Judaism to salvation. We see Peter not willing to confront this faction of people that are adding new rules to um, Salvation, and then we see Paul confronting Peter. I'm going to go through and kind of address all these. When it comes to the subject of salvation, we cannot add anything to what Jesus did. And that was the problem. That's why Paul was frustrated, because salvation is through grace by faith. As soon as I add on a rule, as soon as I add on something you have to do, to attain salvation, then it's no longer about what God did, but it moves into what can you do to earn it. What Jesus did stands alone. He gets the credit. He gets the glory. He provided salvation. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That way we can have right relationship. Now, after salvation, once we've received that free gift, then our lives begin to change. The way we live begins to change. Our character through the Holy Spirit, begins to shift, and who we are begins to come in line with the character of Jesus. And Paul was having issue because they were removing the freedom provided by Jesus by adding rules to what it took to be saved. And then Peter, little Peter. I can identify with Peter a little bit. Me being a person that is not big on conflict, I, it seems to kind of be a common theme with Peter. He doesn't, he's really vocal when he's around people that he knows that he trusts, but when it comes down to the thick of it, he kind of backs off. We see it when Jesus asks, who do the people say I am? Well, you're, you're the son of God, you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, you've rightly, rightfully said so. But then you get to the courtyard scene where Jesus is being scourged and he's approached by three different people. Hey, you're, you're one of his disciples, and he denies him. But then we see on the day of Pentecost, God uses him mightily to reach 3,000 people, and the church is, begins. But then we see here a faction of people are coming in, teaching something false, making new rules, and Peter backs off again. Can you guys relate with that? Are you kind of vocal when you're around people that you trust, but when you get into a group of people that you kind of don't know, you don't say anything. Allison gives me grief all the time because when, it, when I'm with friends or when I'm with her, my political views will, and she tells me, go get involved. Go do something about it. 
And I, I, a, a co-worker of mine, he just moved back to Alaska, and uh, he was, we were kind of, not polar opposites, but we were, were far apart on policy, on, on what we believed, and he really stretched me in, in how to dialogue with somebody that doesn't have the same viewpoints as you. Um, I tend to be extremely conservative. He was uh, more liberal in his, his thinking. But what I found is we sat down and we talked. I would express my view. He would express his view. There was more middle ground than I thought there would be. And, and it leads me to believe that maybe there's more middle ground between people that are around us if we would just only be willing to have that conversation. And um, I think, I don't know why Peter is backing off. I don't know why Peter's not willing to stand up. I don't know if it's something where it's like, ah, that fight isn't worth it, or maybe he didn't want to be persecuted. Why ruffle feathers? Why, why deal with that? Why go into it? But then it, to me, it, it kind of goes back to what I had said last week. If what we believe isn't rooted in truth, why believe it? But then I pose this question. If it is rooted in truth, isn't it worth fighting for? If, we're, if it's truth that we're believing, isn't it worth fighting for? And just as a reminder, I already said it, don't be persuaded to give away your freedom in Christ because your freedom in Christ is rooted in truth. So this is what Peter was doing, and Paul was not okay with it. He wanted all believers to live in freedom, and that included Peter. And then we see Paul confront Peter. And we're going to jump into Galatians 2, 11 through 14. I'm going to read that again to you real quick. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James... He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? What do we see here? We see Peter's kind of being two-faced. He's being one person around one people. He's being uh, someone else around other people. We see it in, in 12 through 13. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, uh, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Do you understand why, why this matters? Why it was an issue that, that Peter was double-minded? So why would people be drawn to a faith if you're not willing to live it out at all times, if you're not willing to stand up for it at all times? What, why take on what you'd been set free from? You know, and, and I'm not saying that, that um, you know, we make mistakes, things are going to happen, but... We can't live a double life. We can't say we're this and then be this. Uh, when we say this, this is what we need to live to the best of our abilities. 
when we make mistakes, we own it, we, we, we uh, uh, repent for it, and, and we move forward. We learn from it. You see, I understand that no one wants to be teased or cast out or, or made fun of or persecuted for what they believe, but are we willing to take a stand and endure for the sake of truth? Or are we willing to take that stand for the sake of freedom? You know, Jesus made it clear. He said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Why do I share this? It's not to, to scare you. It's not to make you turn away from your faith. But it's my job to prepare you for what could happen. It's my job to set before. If I tell you that faith in Jesus is all rainbows and butterflies, I would be lying to you. The, the Bible clearly says that, that we will go come under persecution, but are we willing to stand in faith for the truth that Jesus is the, is the freedom, is the salvation provided by God for all mankind, that we can live with him like that we sang this morning in heaven. One day I'll fly away. Oh, glory, I'll fly away to God's celestial shore. You know, are we willing to stand our ground and say, you know what? Jesus, he'll take you by the hand and he'll lead you. He'll take you. He'll guide you. Your, your griefs and your burdens, yeah, you have them, but he's there to help burden them. He's there to help you through that. You see, and I, as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, I want you to understand how much God loves you and that it's worth fighting for. It's worth enduring what may come. You see, conflict is necessary to preserve truth it's necessary you know when we don't it leads other people astray we see that with barnabas and, and the other people and um peter or paul uh confronting peter about his inability or his unwillingness to stay faithful and true to what god had done so what does paul do he confronts, he confronts Paul, he confronts Peter. Now imagine a pillar of the church. He, he specifies him as a pillar in what we read. You go to someone that's the pillar of the, of the church. God, Jesus says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And you are now the one that's having to go to him and confront him and say, what you're, what you're allowing to be taught is not truth. I couldn't imagine that, 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 that task of approaching somebody and calling them out. But see, what, why do we confront? Why do we have conflict? It's to bring to restoration, to restore. It's to bring resolution, to bring unity, to bring peace. A quote by Dallas Willard uh, sums it up best. It says, The correcting to be done is not a matter of straightening them out. It is not a matter of hammering their wrongness on what is going to happen to them if they don't change their ways. It is a matter of restoration. The aim in dealing with the one caught is to bring him back on the path of Jesus and to establish them there so their progress in kingdom character and living can continue. Nothing is to be done that is not useful to this specific end. We are supposed to gently love them and bring them back to the truth. The Bible says this about it in Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. 
In Romans 12, 17 through 21, it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 11, it says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must speak peace and pursue it. We're challenged to pursue peace. And sometimes we've got to go through conflict to get that peace. And that's what we see in verse 11. But, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. You see, sometimes conflict is necessary to preserve truth. What would our community look like? What would our church look like if we were a people that were willing to have the hard conversation, if we were willing to stand up for the truth, if we were able to deal with the conflict, to meet a resolution, to bring peace? You know, one of the things that is so hard for me to understand is how church people can, can get at each other and fight and, and allow even a church split over some of the silliest things. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are in this together. We are a family. We're supposed to walk this journey together. And, and, and when someone does something that, that offends you, that hurts you, the Bible tells us to go to that person, confront that person, have the hard conversation, and in the end, come to peace, come to unity. You know, what would it look like if we confronted that difficult coworker in love? What would it look like uh, if us being the customer service folk we are, uh, when that person is nasty on the other end of the line or face-to-face, -face, if, we if we responded in love. You see, that's one thing that we, we've got to do, uh, get better at. We want to do conflict through text message, through Facebook, through Instagram, through Messenger, we got to get face-to-face -face with each other. We've got to talk to one another. I, I think that's something that we have lost as a culture. Uh, you know, they say the two things you don't talk about are religion and politics. We've seen where that leads us. We need to have that conversation. We need to have that dialogue. We need to, to, to come together as a people, uh, as a community, as a country, and talk to one another and understand this side and this side and that side and, and, and through that we can find unity. You see, it, it took, it's taken 15 years for me to kind of learn how to do conflict with my wife. These things don't, it, it won't come easy. You won't get it right the first time that you deal with conflict. But it, as, as we do it, we grow, we learn we learn what not to say. We learn, I hear, I say a lot more things with my face than what my mouth says. 
I look mean. I, 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 my, my face says something that's completely different than what my voice says. Sometimes the tone can say something other than what your voice is saying. So as, as we learn to do conflict with one another, we'll learn these different things. And, and it's the, the end game, my friends, is to preserve truth, to preserve the truth. Conflict is necessary to preserve truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for truth, because it's through truth we are set free. And the truth is that Jesus is that freedom. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to be a people that are willing to have the hard conversation, that we won't be double-minded, that, Father, when, when we see something that is happening that is contrary to your word, we'd be willing to take a stand for it, but we would stand in love. It wouldn't be who shouts the loudest, but, Father, help us to love people. Help us to have that dialogue that, Father, people would learn and know that you're not someone that is waiting to cast down thunderbolts, but you love us, you care for us, and you died for us. Help us to preserve that truth. Help us to have the hard conversations. Fill our mouths with your words. Father, fill our, our minds with your thoughts that we would know how to respond, that we would know how to answer. We bless you and we love you. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All righty, my friends, don't forget, next week we have the, back, the backpack giveaway. If you want to be involved, show up. It's, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and then go and have a hard conversation with someone and do it in love. I love you guys. I look forward to seeing you on Saturday, and if not Saturday, on Sunday. <laughs>